The crazy, mixed-up world of the Beat Generation. A world of distorted values and frenzied emotions, where lawlessness and immorality are a way of life. This is Nico's world, where the only law is Nico's law. And this is Nico, two-time Academy Award nominee and Emmy Award winner, Peter Falk, in the most shocking role of his career. I don't talk my kicks. I do them. Nico, the sadistic leader of the Bloody Brood, whose only philosophy is anything goes. What's your name, son? Journeyman the Show is uh, an individual who had the top clicked article on Moving Radio in 2023. Jason Wojanski, does this blow your mind that that happened? Or did you know you were this popular? Well, I, I don't know if it blows my mind. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was I was surprised to find it that should, out. You should be honored. You should I be am, honored. I am. And you that I be am. like, I have given you a platform, JP, and you have taken <laughs> it and run with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for those people that have not heard some of our other conversations on Moving Radio, uh, Jason is a film historian. And when I say that, uh, he is an artist as well as a historian, a filmmaker. Uh, he is many things, a father, a son, uh, a brother. He is many things. Uh, and to me, a friend as well. And yes. we are going to be talking about the Kino release. This isn't something exactly brand new it's kino classics release of the bloody brood that you can get on blu-ray for yourself right now and the reason why i am talking to jason about this is because not only is he i fair, i think fairly astute about the life and the work of julian rothman the director and producer of the bloody brood but also on top of that he did a uh he basically did a, a behind the scenes a kind of a little supplementary uh, piece on this DVD Blu-ray release, as well as doing the commentary track. So JP, we're happy to talk to you today about the Bloody Brood, which you can get on Kino Classics Blu-ray right now. I'm happy to talk about it too. Yeah, it's, so uh, the release was 2019. In isn't fact, that, isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. But I feel like stuff like this doesn't have that kind of short shelf life. You know what I mean? Like it just keeps kind of slowly but surely keep creeping out. I mean, it gets a little bit hot at first, but these are films that uh, are meant to be discovered. So, you know, we're talking about something from, you know, what, 1959 that we're yep. talking about now. So there you go. Like, it's got a shelf life. All right. For those who are uninitiated, uh, what is The Bloody Brood about? I know it's about some degenerates. That's for sure. It's it's about beatniks and broken glass and a little bit of Peter Falk thrown in for fun. Uh, it's, it's basically the... Uh, it's uh, a couple of beatniks hatched this scheme to uh, plan, maybe not the perfect murder, but to plan a murder for kicks just to see what it's like. Just to watch a man die, I guess. It, he's a young man and his brother comes looking for him and it's 
it sort of becomes a bit of a detective thriller for the second two acts, really. I mean, in, in watching the film uh, a while ago for the first time, uh, the thing that probably stuck out to me the most is clearly already knowing who Peter Falk was, growing up with him, and then seeing him in this role that I didn't know about. I was like, oh, my God, this is kind of classic, you know, uh, late 50s kind of B-movie, you know, genre piece that's meant to, like, you know, get hip with the kids and do some Herschel Gordon Lewis kind of like, well, maybe pseudo horror, but not really bloody at all. Right. Uh, and I felt like his performance was a standout that kind of pulled it all together as this evil beatnik who's not really ideologically he's a beatnik, but I don't look at him and be like, oh, he screams beat. Well, that's the that's the thing about Peter Falk's character yeah. in the film. He is his name's Nico. Um, yeah. He's what he really is, is a drug runner. Um, and he's just kind of hiding out within the beatniks. They're kind of his clients. Um, and he's somehow managed to capture their ear. Um, so they all look, do look up to him. Um, but really, he's not part of their tribe. He's just sort of posing. But one of the things about the film, it's a beatnik film. And it's a kind of was pitched as a juvenile delinquent film at the time in the marketing. Um, but it's really the beatniks are very sympathetic characters in the film. So yeah, it's, they're, it's they're really, they're kind of the pawns. They really are. Yeah. They're just living their life. And I, I think Julian Rothman had a bit of a sympathy for at least the artistic culture within the beatnik community. He was sympathetic to the beat generation and the art that they were doing. Yeah. But at the same time, there is definitely a lot of, uh, Oh, we're doing, we're super high, baby. <laughs> Heroin and pot <laughs> and hanging around in clubs and probably snapping fingers and telling poetry. Although there's there's some <laughs> there's some great poetry in it. There's uh there's a lot of bongos. I, um, I I love the club as being the kind of centerpiece of that stuff. Like I'd be like, if I was living in 1959, dude, I would have been so excited to go to these one places minus the heroin. Yeah, I mean, so what do you think is like, what's the appeal of something like this? Does Rothman kind of come into it and, and you say, you think that he says, okay, um, I, I want to do this kind of genre film, right? Does he look at it and say, uh, this is about money and maybe I can sneak in some story and some art in there, right? Like, which which one do you I, feel? That's I Well, that's what I think it, it, it was about money, um, but I think think what it was about was a calling card what was i mean he had a pretty storied track record already um making films for the nfb uh working as a producer on some films directing a lot of television in the u.s uh but he hadn't made a feature film yet and he hadn't canada hadn't really had much of an export of feature films so this was he wanted to make something commercial and something that he could sell to canada and to the world and that's that was the motivation behind it. It, it. He didn't have this story in him that he wanted to tell. This wasn't the story. This was something <laughs> to get the next film made. But he goes all in like like he maybe didn't have enough money. He maybe didn't have enough time for what he he had wanted to achieve, but he didn't just half ass it. Right. He he wanted to do something that would catch people's eyes. Um, unfortunately, the film really didn't at the time. It got some dates in Canada um, 
And then in the States, when he went down to try and sell it in the States, it didn't really pay off. Um, nobody, none of the distributors seemed too interested. Um, but then he later found out that there was an a distributor in New York that uh, had gone around and started booking the film without like contacting him and Matt Taylor, the producers of the film. Um, so he'd been making coin off it for a year and they never saw a dime. This is kind of the classic tale of films at these times, right? And mm -hmm. and even all the, I mean, now it's just big studios doing it a lot of the time. Before we, you know, there's all kinds of stories about distributors up until like the 70s, probably late 70s of taking all the money from the filmmaker and just kind of, you know, uh, doing some creative accounting. Yeah. Yeah, and that yeah, definitely happened all the time. I mean, there's obviously they're still doing creative accounting. They're writing off mm -hmm. whole movies in order to get a tax write-off. <laughs> We're looking at you, Warner Brothers Discovery, yeah. right? We are. All right. Well, you know, as we talk about this film itself, I know that uh, you're attracted to Julian Rothman as uh, as a cultural figure and as a creative mm -hmm. figure. So, what is it about the the Bloody Brood that that kind of hooked you a bit? Because did you see the Mask first before this, and then kind of got into the Bloody Brood after? Yeah, the Mask was sort of my entry into Julian Rothman. Um, yeah. The Mask and the three D in the Mask really was what initially pulled me in, and then. On the books, Julian Rothman really had only directed, has only directed two films, The Mask and The Bloody Brood. So The Bloody Brood is naturally a film that you seek out and want to see if you're a fan of his work in The Mask. That said, he he worked as a producer after that, and he's done a lot of television, and he's done a lot of television under pseudonyms because his circumstances for coming to Canada was because he was blacklisted. And he was he was about to be called to the McCarthy hearings um, and he didn't want to sell out any of his friends. So he came back to Canada. Um, so he worked he worked after making these two films in the States, um, but he never really received any credit. Um, and even the shows that he worked on, it's hard proving that he did. I mean, he was supposed to have been a producer on one of the seasons of Columbo. Um Ironically enough, uh, even though Peter Falk has never mentioned this film as being his first film. Yeah, um, that's kind of odd. Yeah. Well, I think maybe in some ways the film, nobody knew about the film when, when they would be asking about it. If he'd said, well, my first film was The Bloody Brood. Um, at that time, I don't think really until the 80s, there was any way to even access the film anymore. Right until until home video came out, it kind of disappeared. It had a few showings in the late fifties, early sixties, and then it, it almost disappeared. Right, the mask had more of a presence, um, but nobody really knew who Julian Rothman was. I mean, even within this country, um, critics didn't talk about Julian Rothman much. Uh, he kind of became a bit of a forgotten figure, forgotten Canadian filmmaker. Um, yeah, so, so it's maybe not that weird that Peter Falk didn't, didn't want to mention it. He didn't think anybody <laughs> would be impressed. I think he's really good in the film. Yeah. that's um, why And I think he's playing, he's, he's not playing, he's not playing Columbo, right? He's no. playing a character you rarely see him play. He's a bad guy. I mean, he really settled into that trench coat and that Columbo character, but 
before that, there were these other things that he did, and this was one of them that's quite good. We're talking today on Moving Radio with Jason Bohansky. We are discussing the film The Bloody Brood. You can pick this up from Kino Classics. Uh, I found my copy at the Lobby DVD shop here in Edmonton. Uh, that's a great way to get it if you want some physical media and you happen to live in our city. Uh, but if you don't, you can find it very easily online. Uh, it's a fantastic edition of it. Um, we'll talk about you know some special little things that did beyond your commentary. But before I kind of do that, let's kind of kick back into the film a little bit. If you had to kind of give at least somebody out there like in our audience who isn't familiar with this you're like the the best scene or maybe the two best scenes or something like that that are going to make the movie for you are this right what would you tell people you like oh you got to see it because of this scene um i don't, I don't know if the scenes are going to blow other people's minds but <laughs> um, there's a few scenes that I like in there. Now, I've, I've mm. spent a lot of time with this film, so some of it's really embedded in my head. Um, I the, the opening scene with the beatniks and, Ju and Peter Falk sitting around the table discussing sort of what society is like today when uh, this old paper guy comes in and has a heart attack. That whole scene's... I want to say powerful, but I don't know if that's quite the right um, <laughs> the right term. But it's uh, it's a good scene, and Peter Falk's really chewing the scenery with that one as well. Um, the, the oh, there's a, like the po the poem at the end that they use, basically the ode to Hamlet, um, where they hire a beatnik to present this poem in order to flush out Peter Falk, and and getting him much like Claudius getting him to sort of admit by his facial expressions that he had killed Cliff's brother, who is Cliff is our protagonist in the film uh, played by Jack Betts. Wonderful Jack Betts. Um, those are two that stand out. There's the whole scene in the apartment that follows shortly after the death. That's like, it's, I mean, that's the beatnik scene, but there is some great dialogue in it. Um, the poet sort of first shows up at that point, and he's, he's rattling off some stuff. Um, uh, there's sort of our, our one beatnik character that you could almost say was a model for Shaggy. That's what we do. His whole scene talking about the fish. Uh <laughs> in the tank and that they're I can't remember what he was saying now. Um, but, but that whole scene is great. Um, and there's some dialogue in there. Like uh, when Cliff is going to look for this character, Brooke, and he asks one of the people at the bar, if he's seen her and uh, he says, she's over there. Her name's Brooke because she babbles implying that she talks a lot. There's a lot of dialogue like that, that I really like in it. Kind yeah. of clever beatniky. I mean, there's a ton of this stuff that you could find out there, even just simply on YouTube, or 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 a company like Mill Creek that just pumps these things out, right? Mm -hmm. Like you know the the forty movies on like ten discs <laughs> or whatever it is, right? Uh, with bad prints of it. Um, but I think that I think you're right that there's a there's a level of charm that kind of separates this from many other films that might be just forgettable and entirely mockable 
just because mm-hmm. you know they're they're poorly executed because they're so quickly done. Yeah. And I don't think this is this is poorly done by any means. And the, the uh, cinematographer on this is Eugene Shifton. Mm-hmm. Shifton was like a special effects guy on the original Metropolis. Um, and he shot Eyes Without a Face and uh, a number of works. His like photography is stunning. Uh, he didn't have a lot to work with here, but it's still it's top notch cinematography, right? It's all studio based. Like this film is mostly feels like you're in the studio. Um which was um, the studio Meridian Studios, which Julian off Julian Rothman and his partner owned, um, which is not it's in Toronto. It's not that far from where I live. Um, it's a gas station now. I drive by it all the time. And uh, but it was primarily shot in this tiny little studio that before it was a studio, it was actually a movie theater. So. There's some ghosts. Yeah, there's some good ghosts in that gas station. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like talking. So one of the things is the first time I saw this film, I saw it on one of those Mill Creek type dubs. Right. Um, And and it I have to say it didn't speak to me. Um, But that's one of the things with all these sort of rediscovering of films and remastering of films that have been really going on just sort of in the last five years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, watching it in the current state is really allows you to appreciate it in a way that watching these, like you can, you can find it on YouTube, I think still, but watching it in one of those cuts on YouTube is, is, is hard. Cause you don't, you don't get a sense of the photography. You, it just feels cheap, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's you're kind of leading into what I was going to, you know, talk about. In that, uh, it seems like now it is easy enough, you know, to be able to get these things, uh, whether you're ripping a, a modern day film on net or whether you're, you know, watching something classic that might be up on YouTube. Uh, but for me, at least, I find uh, is it does ultimately detract from the enjoyment of the film if it's degraded to the point where. You're kind of like, it's not that enjoyable necessarily. And it kind of detracts from what the intent of the film was. Uh, and that's what's nice about, you know, companies like Kino, where they, when they're re-releasing it, like this is a sharp version of it. I mean, you know, you do the best, because I assume it was on 16, right? So, No, the, no, this was 35. So 35? There you go. Yeah. Even more so. so. I don't, you mentioned like I'd, I'd done all these things on the disc, but yeah. I also was responsible for restoring it. Um, okay, so what does that mean for the layman? That was essentially finding the best material possible to transfer in a new transfer into HD um, and then doing a little bit of work trying to get, get rid of any flaws that there might have been and trying to balance everything so that the that it gets as close to being a complete sort of film where you don't notice the differences between cuts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um So, but ultimately, like the biggest thing for me when I was doing this was tracking down, I had to track down a few different prints in order to get a complete sort of version of this. And I found it, found an interneg um, in Britain. So where the original negative is, we don't know. Um, But the internegative is basically sort of a copy of the negative that gets made so that they can make more release prints off of it. So it's sort of the next generation. Um, and we found 
most of the film um in an internegative so so the best looking scenes look good because of the internegative um but there were bits and pieces missing and the British centers uh, did do some cuts that were, that were very strange. It was basically any reference to drug use. Um, there'd be a little snip and it would be like so minor, but, but it would be gone. And it would, it was a challenge to try to bring that back. Yeah. It's, I mean, they even have their own odd censoring system where mm -hmm. uh, you know that's where the video nasties come from and and i'm like some of those things that they were banned there you're kind of stunned by um to kind of get back to the process of it though so what would you say like i mean this is kind of the interesting thing you almost become this uh you know in essence a cinematic detective trying to find these copies of the bloody brood in order to like track it down and then you know like a great editor puzzle maker you are trying to put this all together to give people the most complete version of it possible. What's like, what's the timeline for you with something like that? Is this something that becomes that like it, it could take upwards of a year, like, or are you dedicating yourself to it over months? What's the kind of timeline for something like that? Well, with, with most of my um, sort of historical film historian, historical kind of work, uh, it's, it's not my main gig. It's not my full-time gig. So it was about, about a year of looking. Um, a lot of it fell together pretty quick. It was uh, just the process of getting it transferred. So we got we got sort of the first print that I found here in Canada um, at the archive in Ottawa. Um, but that was really rough. Um, and then I happened to find out that uh, it was at the, the British Film Institute they had this interpositive. So then it was a matter of making sure I had enough money to pay for the transfer. Uh, that's where Kino sort of came in. And then um, waiting for it to get transferred at one of their preferred transfer houses, um, then getting that material and then seeing what I had and then finding out that I was missing little bits here and there. And I was missing actually at one point one, one fairly large section and that took a few more months to track down and eventually we found it in los angeles um so it yeah. was a little bit of work a little bit of work now were you doing work for the extra stuff on here too because there's uh it was 108 hyde park is the short film that's on there as well as freedom to read did you track down those as well or did they kind of have that already in order to you know, we tracked that, that down too. This was Amazing. so. This I should also mention. Um, Peter Rothman, Julian's Julian Rothman's son, yeah, um, worked with me on it. He's the rights holder, um, and he was also sort of my ticket to be able to access material because it needed to be go through somebody that had access to it, which was either Julian Rothman, who's no longer with us, or Peter. Um, so yeah, so we worked on this together to try to get it out there and there was just things we wanted to include um high park is an important film for like julian rothman considered it a very important film for himself so we wanted to put that on um and freedom to read was another one that i i thought was kind of interesting in context of things so and those were those were easy to track down and we didn't we didn't go crazy looking for the best print possible um but the prints we found were pretty solid so
We're talking today on Moving Radio with film historian Jason Polanski. And uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about The Bloody Brood. Uh, it's a fantastic release of the 1959 Canadian, I guess it's a thriller. I don't know. It's all yeah. about it's all about dirty beatniks. Directed by Julia. <laughs> directed by Julia Rothman. And uh, you can find it on Kino Classics, Blu-ray, uh, and you can get that anywhere. Pretty much you look and find your your own physical media online, uh, or you can go down to the Lobby DVD shop on White Avenue like I did and pick up your copy. Uh, I don't want to throw shade at companies that put extras on discs and really don't put a lot of time or effort into it, where it feels like they have simply put a title card in front of a zoom interview. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'll still watch those things. I'm not a hater. So, but what you did for beatniks and broken glass, remembering the bloody brood uh, by far exceeds that. Like when I looked at what you did with that uh, piece, which is another behind the scenes kind of supplementary material of this, uh, it reminded me of, of the stuff that, you know, uh, Red Shirt would do on a lot of discs, right? Like it seemed like there was a lot of care and love in it. And and I don't think the other stuff is about laziness. I think it's probably just about money sometimes and trying to be as economical as possible and loaded it, uh, disc up as much as possible. So tell us a little bit about for you, not just necessarily being, you know, oh, I'm going to help restore the film, piece it back together again, do the commentary track for it but also kind of you um, taking, you know, elements of the film and then your own stuff that you're shooting as well and putting it into beatniks and broken glass. Uh, was that kind of like the final piece of the puzzle for you before you got through this? And, and what was kind of your thinking of how you approached doing that in order to give the most respect and honor uh, Rothman's film as well? Um, well, I, I'd done like a, a mini doc for the mask um so when it came time to do this one um i just wanted to sort of up the ante a little bit aesthetically so there's you did you did there's a there's a few things going on that are are a little i mean it's still really like grunge filmmaking it's like (laughs) there's not a lot of money going into it right this is like this is stuff that i can take the time to do um, and do it uh, but it also at the same time I wanted it I wanted it to complement what we had done for the mask I didn't really want to rehash that so so that's why we kind of focused more on on the bloody brood I mean it was the bloody brood but even with Peter's interviews we didn't really go into too much of Julian's backstory because that's already available on another disc and hopefully you know that will have created some some fans of Julian Rothman enough that they might want to track down both of these at some point. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of it, and it's just like um, I had a day job editing, uh, which is great and fine, but it's it's not a chance to sort of put something personal into it. And so this was a chance to do something personal with it, and. Peter and I have become quite good friends and I have a lot of respect for his father and I have a lot of respect for his father's work. Um, and just even being, being able to get like this, this material to put it together was, it's a weird balance. It's like, this one wasn't for money. 
I guess we say this is for love. Yeah. Do, do you feel like in some ways, I mean, money's great. We, we all love it. We all need it. That's for sure. Um, do you feel like those kind of tiny projects like that, where you get to like pour that, you know, at least justify the obsession uh, sometimes you're like, oh, I just wish the money equaled the joy. Cause that's what it kind of felt like from what you were giving me on this one, as well as the mask. Uh, do, do I wish the money equaled the joy? Yeah. 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 Like yeah at just, this point in my life. Yes. <laughs> it's, just, um, it's the craziest thing. It's like, it's out there. And I don't think this is one of those situations where anybody like Kino is making obscene gobs of money. You know, but it's just nice to see that somebody took the time to show the love for these films. Yeah, and well, I've, in restoring the film, I've spent a, I've spent a lot of time with it. Now, I was restoring it in 2018, so it has been a while since I revisited it in that respect. But uh, it, I've grown to really love the film. I mean, I liked it before, but I've seen the i've seen it over and over and it's almost kind of feels like something i'd made in the way that i've i've watched i've seen some of the films that i've made you get you kind of it becomes it grows into you it's it's an editor thing though too right you you um you end up spending a lot of time with the products you're working with in ways that even the director doesn't always especially in television um so it's kind of become a piece of me <laughs> in a weird sort of way. All right. Maybe you are one of the bloody brood. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I can't wait till we hang out in a cafe together and yeah. uh, and get co-opted by some smooth talker in a suit into yeah. uh maybe soon. Into, yeah, into feeding somebody a hamburger laced with broken glass. <laughs> that be? I don't know. Don't order a... the burger. Don't <laughs> order. Don't order the burger. No, at no beatnik joint. Don't, at least not a meat burger, you know. Go vegan. I'm sure they will appreciate that more. Mm -hmm. Well, look, JP, it's been a pleasure talking to you about this. It's always a pleasure just talking to you. Yeah. Right. You know, you are clearly 2023 shining star and moving radio. You, you and Kevin Martin, you're the <laughs> most popular. So uh, that's always appreciated from me. If, People out there who are listening want to check this out. So I implore you to, um, you know, you can you can go to YouTube and watch it, but it's not going to give you the same joy as if you went down to lobby and rented it or purchased it uh, through Kino Classics. The film, again, is The Bloody Brood from 1959. Uh, and of course, Julian Rothman is the director and producer. And that's who we've been kind of talking about. And the film itself, it stars Peter Falk as well. Pick up the mask. JP's all over that release as well, too. Uh, it is well worth your time. Uh, make it a little double feature for yourself. Also from Kino Classics, too. Uh, you know what's exciting, JP, is that we're going to talk yeah. several times again because you're working with a little company called CIP quite a bit, right? Yeah, I've been doing that with Paul Corp. Mm -hmm. So that means what? You've been doing a lot of what? Sitting in the studio? Commentaries. Oh. Uh, sitting in the studio so well hey i'm actually i'm sort of piecing one together right now all right all right well i'm not going to make you tell us what it is so what you're saying is if you are into those uh canadian releases that i've been talking about on this program right um and that you've been doing some of the commentaries on 
there's more to come that CIP has been doing a great job at giving us some fantastic releases uh, and unearthing Canadian gems. And, uh, and you're all part of that process in uh, helping inform the audience and doing a bunch of tracks on it. Are you doing any restoration too, or is it mostly just the tracks and some research? It's, it's the tracks and the research. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nothing, nothing yet. Well, just, twist their arm, but, yeah. but nothing yet. Yeah. All right. Well, be on the lookout. Uh, we're going to be talking to Jason again, but more importantly, please go find Bloody Brood. If all of a sudden he gets a paycheck in the mail for like $17 because a bunch of people bought Bloody Brood on DVD, Blu-ray, that would be amazing. So people <laughs> get lunch for a Sunday. <laughs> Something. <laughs> All right, Jason, thank you so much for your time. You uh, I implore people to check you out. I, I would, if you want to, you know, shamelessly promote yourself on social media, you can, but I know that uh, you don't love to be out there on social media necessarily. Yeah, I've, I've been absent from certain social medias. I've started to try okay. to get myself out there more, but we'll, well, we'll see how I do. Do you want to drop a little something about something that you kind of have been reworking on again that you put out on YouTube that maybe people might want to check out and then i'm going to put the link out for again as well do you want to drop a little something about that no i'll let you put the link out <laughs> uh, this, anything this... bigger than that we'll talk about later <laughs> okay all right well we'll do that uh don't worry people it's all about uh zombie stuff and it was done at a time before anybody was doing this stuff uh i will tell you uh jason is a bit of a visionary in some ways I can't see what he predicts for the future from 20 years from now with what he does next. I'm lost after COVID. I'm lost. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I don't know. <laughs> There's no Sue saying anymore. <laughs> I feel like there's still one more in the left. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. All right, buddy. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, yeah, you check too. out Bloody Brood. And uh, we'll be talking to you again real soon.